Look around you. There's so much work to do. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch. There is a tangible, desperate need for Jesus. A glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus experienced this. He saw it firsthand. The need broke his heart and filled him with compassion. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling, a calling to make a difference, to share the truth of the gospel, to be a light in the darkness, to be the church. It's time for us to look beyond ourselves, to turn our focus to the field, to answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work? As Nick mentioned a, uh, earlier today, uh, that we are in our third week of a four-week series titled Church. And in this series, the first two weeks, we've really been looking at ourselves of what is the church, and then last week at the developing church. And if you were here, a quick review, if you weren't, a, a quick fast forward through the message here, really three main points. When Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he said there's three things that we do. First thing we do is that we deny ourselves. We deny ourselves that we be with Jesus. And the practice that I encouraged was to be in two places. Meaning, when you're at work, you're also with Jesus. When you're at school, you're also with Jesus. When you're at home, you're also with Jesus. Wherever you go, you're with Jesus. Why is this? Well, it's a reminder to deny ourselves and to walk in his ways and his will. The second thing Jesus said is to take up our cross. So this is becoming more like Jesus. And we talked about how we all love human approval, how we love honor, comfort, and life. But really, the practice is seeking Jesus instead of those things. Some of us spend our lives trying to have the approval of others and honor from others and comfort. But rather, it's about picking up our cross. Third thing we talked about was following, was to follow Jesus, is to do what Jesus did. And at the end, listed a, a number of practices that Jesus had. Jesus prayed, Jesus fasted, Jesus served, Jesus shared, uh, Jesus found solitude and silence. Uh, there's these different things that we can do, that we can walk in and follow Jesus. Now, following Sunday's message, I had all sorts of responses to it. Most of them went something like this. Ugh. Right? It was so quiet in both services. It was just this like, oh, this is, that's right, yes, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And so what I encouraged a friend of mine this week who, who we had a conversation with, and I want to encourage everyone with this, is I want you to think about discipleship and following Jesus as a spectrum of A to Z. Okay? So we begin by following Jesus at letter A. And then as we grow, we move to letter B, to letter C, and D, and E, and progression sometimes is fast, sometimes it's slow. And so wherever you're at in this letter, this progression along the way, you may be on letter E and go like, oh, I like that. This person's at letter N. Like they are way ahead of me. 
I'm just going to jump to them, and I'm going to be like them. Because I want, I want that kind of growth. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus. They didn't get to let her in by jumping. It was this progression. And so what I want to encourage everyone who last week heard this and went, Ugh, is not to give up, not to be discouraged, not to be ashamed, not to be anything, but rather just to say, God is doing something in my life. The fact that you may have felt something last week, like a tugging, is a good thing. It's a good thing. If you just sat here like, ah, right, uh, Taco Bell sounds good. Um, there's, there's an engagement that has, there's opportunity for engagement, all right? So this progression along, use it as a sign that the Spirit is moving in you and through you. And so our mission here at the church, what we're about is these three things, developing followers of Jesus who serve to reach one more. So we're walking through the series. Last week we talked about developing as disciples. Today we're going to talk about serving. Next week we're going to talk about reaching. But really, this week and next week tie together pretty tightly. And I hope you'll see this as we walk through this, is that we've looked inward. Now we want to be really intentional and look outward, this service idea. And I imagine if you sat in church long enough, you're like, oh, he's, he's going to tell me to go serve you know, around my neighborhood and community and look for the least of these to serve. And, and I know this list of everything that I should be doing. And in fact, I would say, like, how could you serve Jesus? And everyone could come up with five different things. And we would have this plethora of options and go and do this. But I want to give you a really simple, tangible thing that you can walk away with today. In fact, you're already doing this every single day, multiple times a day. But maybe... We're just not taking advantage of one of those times during the week. And so the encouragement is going to be to take advantage of one of the times, of the multiple times you're already doing this every single day during the week. All right, did I leave enough mystery and confusion there for you to hold on? A little teaser there with that. Why don't you turn with me to Luke 19 and Luke 7. We're going to look at these two passages as our core passages today. Luke 19 and Luke 7. These may be familiar passages. In fact, the first one in Luke 19 uh, is about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed. Oh, wait, wait. That's a song. That's not there. It is there. Zacchaeus, it's this kid's song and story, and it's cute, and it's fun. And we've told our kids, and kids have heard it if you've been in kids' church. And we... Talk about Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was hated. People did not like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which means he sold his own people out. He aligned with the Roman Empire. Not only did he take what was the baseline that the Roman Empire wanted, how he made his money is he just added some more to the top, however much he wanted. And as we're going to see here in a second, that he was wealthy. So he didn't just get enough to get by. He was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy, and he was living off of everyone else's money that he took from them. And so let's read this here in chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All right, let's just pause there for a moment. Can you imagine Zacchaeus? He's there seeing and hearing about Jesus. And Jesus stops and he's like, hey, let's go have a meal. I want to come to your house. Let's hang out. I mean, I'm sure Zacchaeus' heart is beating, just going crazy of like, uh, okay, all right, come on over. And the entire crowd cheered this on, right? No, no. All the people, verse 7, saw this and began to mutter, which is not a good thing. Muttering, grumbling, complaining. When someone does that, they're not generally happy. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus went to hang out with a sinner. Uh-oh. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. So we have a scene where Jesus stops. He recognizes someone. He moves toward that person. He moves even closer to that person by saying, hey, let's go to your house. Let's hang out. Let's have some food. Let's talk. And the crowd is jealous. The crowd is confused. The crowd is saying, Jesus, do you know who this is? Do you know what he does? Do you know how he's making his money? Do you, do you understand what's going on here? Why in the world would you hang out with a sinner? With a sinner. See, the issue here for this interaction was a table. And the struggle that we're going to talk about today and the opportunity we have is a table. See, the table is a place of welcome. The table is a place of acceptance. The table is a place of friendship. The table is a place of an even playing field. And Jesus sat at a table with a sinner. Theologian Joachim Jeremiah, he said this. He said, to understand what Jesus was doing, eating with sinners, it is important to realize that in the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. In Judaism in particular, table fellowship means fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shares a meal brings out the fact that they all have a share in the blessing which the master of the house had spoken over the unbroken bread. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. I want to read that last paragraph one more, or that last sentence one more time. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. And we just saw in these verses that we read the transformation. When Zacchaeus was brought close to Jesus, when Jesus went towards Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus drew towards him, he was transformed over a table, over a welcome, over time, together. The table is the issue. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, being Zacchaeus, said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What Jesus just said, he's saved. He's part of the family. Yep, 
He's a tax collector. Yep, he stole from people all his life. But I sat with him. And he confessed. He was transformed. I came to seek and to save the lost. Have you ever noticed in Scripture, and maybe you'll notice as you start to read this, is that there's a lot of conversation about food. There's a lot of meals. I mean, Jesus loved food. I think he loved the fact that food was the bridge into people's lives. Because you think of all the different people that Jesus ate with. Jesus ate with his disciples. Jesus ate with strangers. And think of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Jesus ate with the outcasts. Jesus ate with religious leaders. And Jesus loved to eat because it connected with people. Even after Jesus' resurrection, what is one of his first questions? He goes, do you have any food? Look it up. It's there. That was one of his first questions. Do you have any food? Not necessarily because he was hungry. I mean, I'm sure resurrection is exhausting, but, but the fact is, is that Jesus wanted to connect with people. Jesus was accused of many things. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 7 and see how Jesus was accused. As we read this, you know, we as parents, we talk about, hey, kids, you know, who you're hanging out with. It kind of it rubs off on you. People look and see who you're hanging out with. Jesus had the same situation. Verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton. I'm sorry, this is verse 34 of chapter 7 of Luke. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend to tax collectors and sinners. So he's being accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was not a glutton nor a drunkard, but yet he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And their, his proximity to them caused people to say these things. But I love this next verse. It says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Basically what Jesus is saying, just watch. See what the fruit comes out of this. Get to know me. You're going to see who I really am. And then this happens. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Again, another table. This time it's a Pharisee that has invited him there. But someone interrupts this meal. Someone else comes to the table. And now a, a, good, a good person would say, go away. Go away. Jesus does not do this. Those are quotes over the good. You can catch that. Verse 37, a woman from that town who lived a sinful life, this is the author's way, scholars feel, of saying she lived a sinful life, but she was really a prostitute. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now this woman is relating to Jesus as only she knows how. For her to have her hair down is scandalous. For her to be kissing his feet is scandalous. For, for her to be pouring out perfume is scandalous. And Jesus sits there. He welcomes her to the table. But the Pharisee is not happy. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
Jesus seemed to attract all sorts of different people to him. He doesn't push her away. He doesn't push Zacchaeus away. Verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. And neither of them had any money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I want to pause right there. I love this question. Do you see this woman? Do you really see her? Or is she simply a label to you? A sinner? Is she simply some sort of social construct or political ideology or an issue or whatever it may be? Or do you see a human being before you? Do you see someone that is made in the image of God? Someone that God loves, that that Jesus would die for? Do you really see her? Do you see this woman? I think this is a really good question for every single one of us. When we walk through our days, when we think about the people that we interact with or we ignore or we walk away from or we have written off, who we have disregarded, do you see, fill in the blank, whoever that person is, or that group or that label or that identity or whatever it is, do you see them for real as human beings, as one Jesus died for, as one made in the image of God, as one with inherent value? Do you see this woman is a question that Jesus asked. Jesus continued, he said, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus did not ignore the sins of Zacchaeus. He did not ignore the sins of the woman. But he saw both of them. And he moved toward both of them. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. In verse 49, the other guest who began, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus moved toward Zacchaeus, towards a woman, toward all sorts of people in Scripture. And so I want to give us an equation to think about this week. I said, this swirls around a table. This is the equation that I want to give to you to think about, to process as we continue this conversation. Is First, table fellowship plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. So not tell it table fellowship alone. Anyone can do that. Plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. Think of these scenarios. Zacchaeus, the woman, any one of us. 
table fellowship plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. And what if, what if serving Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus, being the church, looks like this? Yes, there are all sorts of needs that need to be met, and we need to serve and we need to go. But what about this? How many of you eat food each day? Okay, most of us, good, good. Some of you just refuse to participate anytime anyone asks you to raise your hand. How many of you eat food multiple times a day? How many of you know another human being? Good, most of us, excellent, good. What if we transform something we do every single day, multiple times a day, acknowledging the presence of Jesus and allowing the Spirit of God to transform the places we're in? What if? What if? See, the the biblical term for this is hospitality. And I know some of you just went like, "Ah, I don't have a gift. I mean, we've all been to light lunches where someone invites us And it's just supposed to be a simple light lunch, and you walk in, and it is the most amazing display of food and flowers, and there's light music playing, and there's just this beautiful scent of bread baking in the oven. And you're like, oh, that's not what I'm talking about. Some of you have that gift. Some of you have that, and that is awesome. That's not me. But what I'm talking about is hospitality. And what Scripture talks about is hospitality. And hospitality is is the word philoxenia. And what it is, is it's the opposite word. Okay, we'll sit here. This is my fault. I'm going out of order. Elena's good. Is that philiosenia. Philios means loving. Xenos means stranger. Hospitality means love of stranger. Now, our society, and I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is that so many people, including Christians, have embraced the complete opposite of this, of hospitality. And a word is xenophobia. The fear of the stranger, the fear of the foreigner. I don't know them. They don't know me. I don't want anything to do with them. They're so different than me. Xenophobia is the complete opposite of what Jesus did and what Jesus taught and what Jesus calls us to as Christians. This is not Christ-like. The opposite is hospitality. Consider some other passages of Scripture from Hebrews. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Don't forget. We're going to forget. That's why it's there as a reminder. Romans, practice hospitality. First Peter, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I've been there. I've been guilty, right? It's a reminder. We're reminded to do these things for those who follow Jesus and also those who do not follow Jesus. The table is a place of connection. It's a place of opportunity. And some of my best conversations with people have been around tables. Whether at home inside or home outside or at a coffee shop or at a restaurant, with those who follow Jesus, with those who do not follow Jesus. These have been some of the best conversations I've had. Earlier this year, I experienced some of this radical hospitality. I drove to Nashville, went down to visit a friend of mine who had written and directed and produced a play there. And I went to plan to go to the show. I left early Thursday morning, got there in the evening, ready for the show. Joanna texts me, trying to figure out where I was staying that night because I didn't have housing that night. And I am a planner, if you know me at all. Like, I want to know where I'm eating. I want to know, like, the road I'm taking. I want to know where I'm staying. 
And she texted me about an hour before the show, and she's like, hey, where are you staying tonight? And I wrote back, I said, I don't know. I just keep feeling this impression just not to book anything. I'm looking at hotels online. And she said, she wrote something back like, who are you and what have you done with my husband? <laughs> I think she thought I was kidnapped at that point. And, and I sat there and I went to the show. And as I walked in, I saw my friends and uh, they sat me in the, the front row there and I looked over and there was a sign that said reserved and I was like, oh, I wonder who that's for. And, I, and the person came and sat and so I started talking with this person and uh, my friend came and introduced us formally and gave some background and uh, told this person that I was from Michigan and I'd been friends with my friend for over 20 years and I was a pastor and this conversation went on. And so he, he left to go backstage and uh, she looked at me and she said, so, where are you staying tonight? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm going to probably get a hotel afterwards. She said, yeah. She said, my husband and I have a guest room. Come and stay with us. I'm like, I don't know you. You don't know me. <laughs> and, and I think I stumbled over my words for about, you know, a minute or so and pretty much just said, hey, well, let's talk, let's talk after. This is weird. And uh, so somehow by the end of the, the show, my friend and his wife and some other people had found out that the invitation had been extended. And I'm like, is this okay? Should I do this? They're like, yes, go, go, do it. I said, okay, fine. And so we went and walked in and showed the guest room and this pantry, which had an amazing amount of food. They just said, eat whatever you want. In fact, we'll cook you something. What do you want? This is 10 o'clock at night. What do you want? Anything. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And, and that was all great and well. And they gave like bags of gifts for the kids and Joanna. It was crazy. But the thing that I remember was we moved over to the table. And there for the next two hours, strangers sat and talked about life and family and faith and you name it for two hours around a table. There was radical hospitality that had been extended, but what I remember was this table and the connection that no longer were we strangers, but we were friends. There's something powerful that happened there. Now, let me say this as a disclaimer because I don't want you coming back. This is not a go and do likewise. Don't go invite strangers to your house like you don't even know um, and have them spend the night. That's, that's yeah. So that's not the, the point there. So that's my disclaimer. I'll just start small. Um, is that the table. And then I was thinking about another time this past week is multiple times where we had the Stephen ministers sit and share about, those who are applying to be Stephen ministers sit and share about their life about why they wanted to do this and who they were and the experiences they had. And, and my heart just grew for each person that I sat across the table with. And Lori would say the exact same thing. We just got done with each person and go like, whoa, this is amazing, this table fellowship. And I think of the number of times that I've sat with many of you and I've sat with people who are not following Jesus from the community across a table and the conversations that have been had are powerful. They're powerful. They're powerful. So why am I telling you this? Table fellowship plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. Table fellowship plus the presence of Jesus equals transformation. Anyone can sit at a table, but we invite the presence of Jesus and we wait for transformation to take place. Earlier today, we met at another table 
We met at a table where we were reminded of what Jesus did for us. Reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. We remembered how Jesus sat at the Last Supper and he gave his disciples really hard news. And he told them about what was going to happen to him and what they were to do. There's this connection over the table. There's hospitality. So here's my challenge to each one of us. Where's your table this week? Who's that coworker that you can connect with or that neighbor or that person that God has been laying on your heart that you can connect with? That you can create an environment welcoming the presence of Jesus and allowing transformation to take part. Because again, what we're talking about is we're talking about serving in order to reach. Now that does not mean you sit down, hey, this is really great, we get to share a meal. Here's the plan of salvation. Just pause on that for now. Connect human to human. Allow the Spirit of God to guide conversation for you to ask questions. And we're going to dig into this more next week. This is the same thing for you, teenagers. Kids in here. You've got people that you're around all the time. Who is that person? At school or work or sports or whatever it may be or just hanging out. Who is that? Are we willing to do this? See, this is all about denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Jesus. And as it said in Matthew 9, where the video started, it said, look around. Those were the very first words, look around. And then it referenced this passage. We want to follow Jesus. It says this, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So maybe you've pictured the harvest field in a really radically different way like a sidewalk or some sort of formal project? What if that harvest field is a table and you're sitting there with another human being, really seeing them, having that compassion like Jesus and doing what Jesus said? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the table. Lord, so many of us have been transformed around tables. Lord, and your spirit has moved in conversations and times, doing a work in us and through us. Lord, I pray for each one of us. Lord, as we develop as followers of Jesus, that we would serve this week, that we would be really intentional about one meal one coffee, one something, where we would deny ourselves, where we would pick up our cross and we would follow you in your example. Lord, I thank you for the transformation that you brought in Zacchaeus and the woman. And Jesus, I pray that, Lord, you bring about that conversation, that transformation for your glory and your name. Maybe it is at the first connection, but maybe it's at the 10th connection. 
Lord Jesus, use us in simple ways, but transformational ways as your followers. Lord, we're thankful that you are in the business of, of transforming us into Christ's likeness. And Lord, that you desire for none to perish, no one to perish, to be separated from you. And so, Father, whatever age we are, God, you send us this week. We are a sent people. And Lord, may we hear your voice. May we be guided and directed by you. Lord, I want to just pray right now, God, for the person, the people, God, that are just struggling with a brokenness, a hurt, a heaviness, whatever it may be. Lord Jesus, that you would minister to them in this time and this place. Lord, as they go to tables with others, God, I pray that they'd be open to sit with others too. God, for your ministry to take place in them and through them. Lord, for your spirit to transform them too. So Lord, wherever we're at this morning, God, that you'd help us in our joy and also in our brokenness. Lord, thanks that you meet us exactly where we're at. And God, you desire for us to change to be more like you. So Lord, may we walk in your ways as we're sent this week. And we pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.